us to continue our study through this great text. Randy had made a comment that we were almost done with John chapter 11. I was saying, boy, are we in for a surprise tonight. And we're not done by any stretch with John chapter 11. In fact, this is probably the greatest miracle Jesus did while here on earth. The more time I spend in this particular chapter, the more I'm riveted by the simplicity of what is here and yet the profoundness of our Lord Jesus Christ as he continues to shine forth his great attributes and who he is. And I want to just begin our time, since it's been rather lengthy since we've been here, I want to begin our time just by reading once again this text, reading verses 1 through 16, and then spending a little time in it tonight. John says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. And after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, If he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. As many of you who know me know me well enough, you know that I express myself in a few different ways in my own personality. On the one hand, I love to kid around. I love to cut it up a bit with people. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. I joke around, laugh, like to play. But on the other hand, and probably most of you would describe me more this way than the other, I tend to be very serious, especially when it comes to spiritual things, especially when it comes to the things of Scripture. In fact, and in light of that, I want you to know that I consider both your life and my life to be very serious matters. Because we are spiritual beings more than we are physical beings. We are certainly physical in the human realm, and yet 
We are spiritual beings much more than we are physical beings. And what I mean by that is this. One day this physical life will be over. One day soon potentially for us it will be over. But our spiritual life is going to continue on into all eternity. And so when it comes to our lives, when it comes to just you and I, I don't believe that any part or detail happens to us as we have made testimony even here tonight. None of it happens to us by chance. In other words, it isn't an end of a random chain of events that just happen to take place in our life, that just go on, whereby you and I do whatever it is we do by chance. I don't believe that for a moment. Life doesn't happen like that that. God is intimately involved in every detail of our lives from the smallest detail to the greatest. And as we have given testimony even here tonight, nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing. You may have read your bulletin this morning as it was passed out. Oftentimes, Debbie and I kind of chuckle during the week sometimes because she puts things in the bulletin and oftentimes people ask the very questions of the things they're holding right in their hand has the answer to. And so we kind of chuckle. But you probably read in your bulletin this morning the title for tonight's message, Don't Waste Your Life. That phrase is not my own. It is not something I came up with on my own. It is not from my own clever thinking. It is the title of a John Piper book that I read several years ago, and sometimes I pass that out or give it to students who are graduating high school and going off into college. And the book emphasizes one of the very same truths that I believe we find in this passage in John chapter 11. And that truth is this. And again, it's not new to any of us. This isn't a new truth that some of us have never heard before, but it is essential that we see it from the other side. The truth is this. All things take place and all things are to be done for one specific purpose. Let me say that again. All things take place in life and all things are to be done in life for one specific purpose. And John tells us what that purpose is here in verse 4. Randy mentioned it a few times tonight. Whatever is done, it is to be done for God's glory. John 4 says, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So right here in verse 4, we get a glimpse into the view of what takes place from the heavens' perspective about our life. How God sees and how God and why God orchestrates and allows things to take place for you and I. The end of all things, both good and those things, at least from our perspective, that seem very bad, those things in which God works for good, are for the express purpose of God being in the blazing light of His glory. God is both glorified in His exaltation as much as He is glorified in His 
condemnation of those whom He condemned. That phrase has never struck me more profoundly than it has recently. And I don't believe for a moment that you and I are here tonight to hear what God has to teach us by mistake. You didn't come to Fellowship Bible Church tonight. You didn't decide to come to Fellowship Bible Church tonight just because you, in your own little way, decided by the circumstances of life that you would come. Certainly that may have been the means by which you got here and you drove your car and all those kinds of things, but we are here for the express purpose and by the ordination of God that God might be glorified in us and through us. And that is done, according to verse 4, when Christ is glorified above all things by us. So in this text, we understand that there is a tragedy that has happened. There's a tragic event that has taken place in life. Life has happened. The tragedy has fallen. The nuclear bomb of news has come into these people's lives. There is a death of a loved one. Yet God says that the end of this event is not that it should be seen by them as life over. Life is over. Curl up in a ball. Simply sit in your room and die. No. It is not even, frankly, the loss of something that ought to be on your mind. It is not the tragedy itself, but rather it is to be seen as an opportunity for Christ to be seen for who He is. It's an opportunity for Christ to be glorified and for us to worship Him because of who He is. In that book that I mentioned, Don't Waste Your Life, there's a a quote in it that says this, quote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Now, although we could say much about the implications of that small little poem, one implication for sure is that the physical life that we live has a determined and because of, has been determined by God, by His sovereign grace, I should say, and because of that, There are at least three other principles that are true. Time is precious. Time is precious. And although time is precious, it is also limited. In other words, God has given each of us sufficient time to accomplish all that He has set out for us to do. And then third, since it's limited... If your life is not spent for God's glory, it's a wasted life. That's what I want us to look at tonight, because it is these three principles that are being taught by Christ right here in the middle of this text. And I want you to think it through with me as we look at this together. Remember, Jesus has delayed his return to Bethany. 
He has been informed of the death of this dear one to him and specifically to this family. And he has delayed his return. When he heard, verse 6, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And it's only after this delay that he now says to his disciples in verse 7, let's go to Judea again. Now, his disciples are disturbed by that. The disciples have a problem with what Jesus wants to do. They know that in Jerusalem and the surrounding area that there are hostile factions that want to kill Christ. They would be entering hostile territory to the very ministry and to to Christ himself. In their mind, to go back to the place is a death sentence for Jesus. If you go back there, it's a death sentence. And so Jesus speaks to them, as he often does, in a parabolic way in verses 9 and 10. Notice what he says. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This is a marker of time. John says a lot about time in this gospel, especially in reference to when things take place with Christ in his earthly ministry. If you remember, John marks events throughout his gospel by saying things like this. It was the time of the Jewish Passover. That immediately thrusts us back to a a time in the year, to a a moment, to a a scene, to a a geographic idea, to to the surrounding religious uh, circumstances that would be taking place in that moment. He says sometimes it was the feast of the Jews. Again, from a historical standpoint and from an understanding of the Old Testament, we know exactly what John is talking about. We understand the time marker that he is sharing with us. We even see this type of thing again in chapter 12 and verse 1. You can just turn there in your Bible, one page over. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So once again, this very moment of John chapter 11 John uses in chapter 12 to mark time, to mark the trends, the, the movement of Jesus Christ in ministry. So John identifies time. Because time and the timing of events matter to God. This isn't just John writing a history. This is God writing a history for us. Time and the timing of events matter to God. Why? Because God is allowing for maximum glory of Himself. You realize that? This is why I said that not one thing happens with us that is not within the perfect time of God because God is working for His maximum glory. 
Remember what God said in Isaiah 42, verse 8? I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. I will not ever allow my glory to be stolen from me. Everything that I do is for the glory of my very name. And when God speaks of His glory, it's synonymous with His very nature. It's synonymous with worshiping Him, with paying homage to God. Everything that He allows, everything that He does is for His glory. I was reminded of the words of God in Exodus 34. 13 to 16 where he said this but rather you are to tear down the altars and smash the sacred pillars and cut down their asherim he's talking to Moses it's right at that time where where Moses is 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 now taking two new tablets because the old ones were broken he's taking two new tablets and he's taking them on the mountain God is telling him exactly how to do that and ensuring that that they'll have the law of God again and he's saying but you need to make sure the people do this Break down the altars and smash the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram, that is the, the false gods, for you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and play a harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone invite you to eat of his sacrifice, and you take some of of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. It's a serious thing, God's glory. It's a serious thing that God does. So God is glorified when we worship Him in every event of life. And therefore, time matters to God. It isn't just something He created. Matters to him. Like Jesus said in John chapter two and verse time, verse four, my time has not yet come. Yet again, a time marker for his perfect plan for redemption. In chapter twelve, John says, Jesus says, the hour has come. John 17, Jesus says, Father, the time has come. What time is he talking about? He's talking about the perfect time of God in which God is maximally glorified in whatever is happening with with Christ. So all of this tells us that time is precious. It's precious to God. And that also tells us that each of us needs to ask ourselves, question, what am I doing with the allotted time that God has given me, and do I trust God with the time that He has given me? What am I doing with the time He has allotted to me, and do I trust God with that time? When you and I think about those questions in that way, we think about them in that way of time or our use of time, it really becomes a spiritual test of how well we trust God, doesn't it? 
How well do we trust Him with our stay on this earth? Look at what Jesus says in verse 7 again. Then after this, He said to His disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, in the story or in the event that we are reading about in John chapter 11, in this death event with the family of Lazarus, you might think that Jesus would have said to his disciples, hey, listen, let's go see our friends. Okay, it's time now to go see our friends. Let's go to our friend's house. Let's let's go and, and be with them. But he doesn't say that. He says here, as it's recorded here by John through the Holy Spirit, let us go to Judea. And I think this is purposeful. It obviously is what the Holy Spirit would have here. And I think it's a purposeful reminder to those who were with him that in spite of what others may want to do with us, think about this, in spite of what others may want to do with our life, it is God who is still in control of our time. At the disciples, they're, they're confused. Christ is about to go back to the place where his enemies live. Verse 8 is clear. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews, the, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. Here's what somebody wants to do with you, Jesus. Here's what somebody wants to do in your life. Somebody wants to remove you from the face of this earth. And you're going to go back there again? Going back to the place where the last time these people saw him, the Jewish leaders had rocks in their hands. They want to kill him. Was it wise to place himself in harm's way again? Was it wise to go into the land of the most violent enemies that he would face? Those are things we wonder, but that's not something Christ wondered about. It was only something his disciples wondered about. It was a test of their trust in God. Do you trust God with your time? Do you trust God with His ordering of your life? Are you... See, these are the things that that the implications by way of Jesus' words to the disciples and by way of implication to us. Are you willing to spend your time, the allotted time that God has given you, are you willing to spend it in His service? even if that means danger to your life? That's the question. Seems like it wouldn't even teach us that, and yet here in the midst of this tragedy, God is saying, do you trust me with your time? Did they trust God with their time on earth? Did they trust God with their very lives? Well, we know this, at least, from this entire story. We know that they they went with Jesus. We're not sure if they really went willingly. Our text doesn't necessarily say that. Of course, down to verse 16, Thomas says 
the, the thing almost as if Thomas is like Peter. Hey, let's go. Let's find out. Let's see what's going to happen. I mean, we got a death complex here. They knew it would be at least, at the very least, dangerous to go there. Right? Because there, there's people there who are seeking to stone Jesus. They know that. There's a lesson, I believe, there in these words to us. Because it is at these kinds of times that we need to trust God most, isn't it? I I loved hearing the testimonies given. I loved hearing what God was doing with them, not just in the moment, but what God has done with them over time. It's in these times when when the trouble strikes. It's in these times when danger is around us. It's in these times when it seems as if life's spinning out of control. It is in these times when all we see at the end of the tunnel is the raging sea of difficulty. It's in those times when our trust in God is most tested. It's in those times Does it show in how we live? Psalm 11, verses 1 to 3 says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. Foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous tenderly. The one who loves violence his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. What a promise. What a promise. The Lord, in the Lord we take our refuge. Remember years ago when I was in seminary, wife and I and children had moved from Northern California to Southern California. We had moved from a nice brand new house and we had moved into this other little small place that was probably 900 square feet. Three of us kids were sleeping like on Venetian blinds it seemed. I had things stacked three high like cordwood. And I had to fly back and forth to Northern California for my job and of course the first weekend that we were in the house I flew out went up north, and when I got up to work that night, my wife called me in panic. She said, Matt, it's 
My Lord is a very present help in times of trouble. A very present help in times of trouble. She she memorized that as fast as she could. And if my wife learned anything through those tough times, she learned the same thing these disciples are learning here in John chapter 11. Whatever the danger, whatever the difficulty, whatever the trouble, the safest place is with Christ safest place is with our Savior. Whatever the outcome, doesn't matter. In your situation, whatever it is, I pray that you realize that your time on this earth is controlled by our faithful Heavenly Father. And there is nothing that can shorten it and nothing that can lengthen it. Now, as we think about that, let's not get the idea that just because the disciples went with Christ, that they understood all that was going on in this scene. They still feared the hostile leaders in Jerusalem. And the lesson for them had not fully been learned yet. And so Christ gives them a verbal lesson. Notice what he says, verse 9. Jesus answers them after they express their fear, right? Rabbi, the Jews who are just seeking to stone you, are you going there again? I mean, this is a scary moment. And Jesus gives them his answer. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Once again, a marker of time. This very question begins to fill in for us the details of the truths that we are learning even tonight, about time. The first one we already have answered. God is very concerned about time. We know that. God is concerned about time. We should be concerned about time. And because of that, time should be precious to us. It shouldn't just be something we waste willy-nilly. Time should be precious because God created it and it is precious to Him. But secondly is this. Because... Time is precious. Nothing can inadvertently shorten our time on earth. Christ himself taught that very principle in his life on earth. Because everywhere that Christ went, everywhere that he walked when he was on the face of the earth, and the time he went was in accord with the divine will of the Father in heaven. Christ was never at one moment ever outside the will of his Father. He always did the will of the Father. Jesus' life was not cut short by his enemies. Do you realize that? Jesus did not die on the cross one second later or before it was planned from eternity past. Only at the very moment at which God had ordained it to take place did Christ become the crucified Savior. Just as God's perfect time was carried out in Christ's life, so too 
it is carried out in honor. So in light of that, let me ask this. Do we need to fear men or things of this world? Time is precious to God, and not one thing can happen outside of God's sovereign plan. Not one thing can inadvertently shorten our time on this earth. Do we need to fear men or the things of this world? The only answer to that is no, right? If nothing could take me away from this world any sooner than God would have it, then should I fear anything? No. So in, if our days were in our own hands, then we would need to be extremely careful with what we do, shouldn't we? I mean, if, if I was in charge of, of how long I was on this earth, if I was ultimately in charge of any of those things, I needed to be careful. But, and we better not eat the food that we have. We better not drink the water that we have. Because, listen, i got to be careful with what might not allow me to be here anymore. We better not drive our cars because thousands are killed each year in accidents. Some people fear planes. I was an air traffic controller. Maybe we should. I can understand that kind of fear if your life is in your hands. But since it's in God's hands, nothing can remove you from this world without His divine approval. So do you trust God? That's what Jesus is really saying. Do you trust God? So the second thing we need to learn from this this lesson is that Although time is precious, it is limited. It is limited. Are there not 12 hours in a day? By that, I do not mean that God has not given us the time we need to accomplish all that He has given us to accomplish. In other words, God doesn't shortchange what He's given us to, to, by way of time in order to accomplish everything that He has set forth for us to do. such an overused word in our society. We say it all the time. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. So many times we get so frustrated in life because there doesn't seem to be enough time to get what I need to do done. And in a subtle way, we're just blaming God for not giving us enough time. But listen, we all need realize that God has given each of us just enough time. Just enough time. And He's given us just enough time for everything to be done that actually needs to be done. Therefore, we do not need to be frustrated about life. The question isn't, does God give me enough time Rather, the question ought to be, what is the priority for my time? What is the priority for my time? It's really a question of priorities, isn't it? Are there not 12 hours in a day? If you stack 24 hours of work into a 12-hour day, something has to go. 
So how do you decide? How do you decide? Well, here's how I decide. Or here's how I try to decide. Just with this. What is most profitable? Not profitable in a worldly sense. What is most profitable for my growth in the Lord and for the edification and evangelization of others in Christ? What is most profitable for that? In light of that, you have to ask this. What turn? What items in my life can I do away with that will affect those issues? What can I do away with or what can I add that are going to affect those issues? Maybe it's a few extra hours a week at the job that I thought I needed. I really don't need those because it steals time away from my own Bible study. I don't need that. Maybe those hours can be freed up in your life. Maybe they can be set aside so you can spend time with a brother or sister in Christ that needs some kind of encouragement that you said you didn't have time to do before because you needed a few extra hours at work. Maybe that time could be better spent with a non-Christian friend that you know needs to know about Christ. You see, you don't want to cut out of your life those things that are going to enable you in your Christian walk and growth. You don't want to cut that out of your life. But you do want to cut out and limit those things that will disable or hinder your Christian growth. And Jesus is simply saying to the disciples, listen, there's only so much time. There's 12 hours in the day. Time is precious to God. He's ultimately in control of it all, but because it's precious to Him, it should be precious to us. Because it isn't unlimited, because we just don't have a, an unlimited supply of time, we can't waste it. It's, it's, it's limited in that sense. We need to be serious about how we think about it. It doesn't go on forever. And third, because it's limited, the time that we use is to be used for God's glory, or it's wasted time. Notice what He says. If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I think this is what Christ is saying to his disciples. And Jesus expresses this truth from two different sides. The physical side and the spiritual side. Notice from the physical side, it makes sense to say that if someone does his work in the day, right, there's only 12 hours. If someone walks in the day, he's not talking about taking a nice little stroll down a trail. He's saying if someone carries out his life during the day, he he doesn't stumble. there's There's a sense in which there's a realistic reality to that by way of your own work, especially in an agrarian society where they didn't have electricity at night. You have to do your work when it's light. You have to do your work in the daytime. If you don't do it in the daytime, it's a dangerous time to work. Night to stumble. There's a physical reality to this. But on the other hand, there's a spiritual side. And I think that's really the emphasis being made here. If one carries himself through life in the night, 
Night is a metaphor. A metaphor for sinfulness. If anyone walks, carries his life in what is clear in, in the day, he, he sees the light of the world. He sees Christ. He, he's following Christ, carrying himself out with that idea, with that emphasis, with that whole drive. But if anyone walks in the night, carries his life in the sinfulness, he stumbles. Why? Because the light is not in him. The light is not in him doesn't have Christ. So here's the point that Christ is making. Without Him, all of life is a danger. The disciples said, Jesus, listen, Rabbi, if we go there again, you know, that's a dangerous place. They're going to stone you. Listen, nothing can remove my time. I'm not outside the hand of the sovereign will of the Father. We have to do our things in the day. Without Christ, all of life is in danger. Even if you think you're safe. Because you're in danger of eternal hell. Life without Christ is a wasted life. A wasted life. A life that does not do all that it can do for God's glory is a wasted life. This is where Jesus is driving. This is the point he's trying to get to. He has already told them why this thing has happened, and yet here they are wondering about what might happen with them. Whether you know Christ or not, your time on earth is precious. Whether you know Christ or not, your time on earth is limited. And if you carry your life on without Christ, and not for the glory of Christ, then it's a wasted life. It's a wasted life. If you know Christ, your time is still precious to God. It's still limited here on this earth. And everything you do has to be done for the same goal as it was with Christ. It has to be done for the glory of God so that Christ must be glorified in it or it's a wasted This is why Jesus says in verses 11 through 15, our friend Lazarus has just fallen asleep, but I go that I can awaken him out of sleep. Of course, the disciples are confused about all that. Jesus speaks of his death, and he has to get very clear with them. I love it. The Pharisees say, speak to us plainly. And here John says, so Jesus therefore said to them plainly, the disciples, Lazarus is dead. And 
I'm glad for your sake I wasn't there. Why? Because you need to glorify God. You need to believe fully in Him. Life is coming without me here physically just leading you around. Yes, you're going to have the Spirit, but they don't know that yet. They need to know how to trust God in these times. Lazarus is dead, and I, I want you to see the glory of God. I want you to truly trust. Even death is in God's hands. Even death for the Christian is only sleep. So I'll just ask this question as we close our time tonight. Are you wasting your life? Are you wasting your life? Or is it being used by God for His glory? Let's pray together. We thank you for our time tonight. I I thank you for your word, for what it teaches us, and how it causes us to think even about the mundane things that seem so outside of us. Time itself just marches on, and yet we don't think about it much. We only think about it when we look at our clock and miss an appointment or have to be somewhere and those things. We say, oh, time, i got to get to it. Lord, help us to understand that everything has been ordained by you and we can follow after you. We can trust you in these things. We can trust what you are doing. We can rest in what you have brought into our lives knowing that you are doing it for our good and your glory. Lord, help us glorify your name in it. Help us be like you are, for you are our example, that we might walk in your steps. Lord, thank you for the testimony that you are to us of truly trusting in the Father that He might be glorified in you and that you might be glorified through whatever circumstances there. Lord, help us to think about the circumstances of life in that way so that whatever happens, whatever goes on, whatever difficulties we may face or whatever good that we may see, we never take it for granted. We know that you're working and that you're glorifying yourself through it. So help us not waste those moments. By your Spirit, motivate us, shepherd our souls, that our lives would indeed be a glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.